Good evening, Newark family, and welcome back once again to our Wednesday night live Bible study. Tonight is July 29th, 2020, and I am excited for what we have tonight in store for you as we get ready for this Bible study. And so Brother Moss is on the call with me. If he would go ahead and unmute himself and turn back on his web camera. There he is. And we have a special edition of Brother Moss tonight. I can't resist. I'm sorry, sir. We have Pirate Moss on deck tonight, <laughs> ready to perform our Bible study. He can tell you all about that. I'm excited for what he has in store. And so without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to the right reverend tonight, piratical Roy Moss. And he is going to get ready to bring our live Wednesday night Bible study. I will be back in about half an hour. So get those questions queued up and I'll be ready to feed it to him. We are blessed to have this elder on our pastoral staff with many, many years of pastoral ministry under his belt. And so tonight, all of your burning questions, all those Bible questions you just can't get answered anywhere else, tonight is the night to post them because I'm sure anything you have questions about, he's going to be able to answer. And so without further ado, elder, I turn it over to you and I will be back in about half an hour. And we do remember that one of my answers is always allowed to be, I don't know. <laughs> Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. And as I begin this evening, I would like to mention to you that you should have or should soon receive a letter from the pastoral team concerning uh, the recent survey that uh, was taken among church members. I'm not going to read you the letter or go through all of the information there. I'm just wanting to draw it to your attention and uh, mention a few things that are in it. It includes not only the survey, but uh, some of our reasoning uh, that we had in our discussions as we went over it uh, quite extensively as to what we should be doing. And uh, we are not opening back up at this time. So your small group is your contact for fellowship. You'll read this in the letter, uh, that that's the way that uh, you can become part of what's going on right now. And uh, if you do not receive the letter, let one of us know. We'll see that you get a copy. It is uh, coming to some of you through the mail. Uh, it's also been emailed out and it is on the church website. So uh, we ask you to take advantage of what's available instead of bemoaning what's not available. Uh, I know these are difficult times, uh, but if you want to read about persecution, get a copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs and you'll soon see that this is not persecution, this is an inconvenience. And really the church is not closed. The church has just been deployed. Go out there and, and reach out for those that you have contact with, even limited as it may be. As we begin this evening, let's uh, take a moment of prayer. Dear Lord, I ask that as I speak tonight, that you would preach to the spirits of your people. May your words sink down into our ears and be taken to heart as we approach our own part of building up the portion of your temple 
for which we are each responsible. Help us to be motivated, dedicated, obedient, and looking for your coming. In Jesus' name, amen. I might mention about the uh, patch on my eye. I'm having some problems with my eye. I scratched the cornea. I don't know how, but that developed a bacterial infection inside the eye. Uh, some of the medicines that were given, if I understand it correctly, weakened uh, my resistance in that area. And so now, in addition to a bacterial infection inside that eye, I have a viral infection on the outside of it. And sometimes it gets a little painful, a little difficult to see. I'm just trying to, to take care of the situation. Uh, this particular eye patch is one that I used when I had cataract surgery and it blocks a lot of the light. I'm very light sensitive. So uh, that's not the worst of it. The pastoral team told me that if I was still having to require wearing the patch when I got to this portion of, of the week, that I would also need to come with a tricorn hat and a parrot on my shoulder. I looked at my flags, but I don't have a Jolly Roger among them. Uh, and my grandchildren got rid of the tricorn hats that I would have uh, been possibly able to use. And uh, I do have a parrot from, that I brought back from Ecuador, uh, but I don't know any way to get into the perch. So I guess he'll just lie here and that'll be out of the way. So we're looking this evening at continuing our study. We're almost to the end of it for the Minor Prophets, the Book of the Twelve. Now, I know we've touched on it some as we've gone through, but I, I want to take a little extra time this evening to talk about the designation major prophet, minor prophet, and then I want to add two others to those designations. First of all, the major prophets are called that not because of their importance, but because of the length of their writings. The major prophets are Isaiah, Jeremiah, including Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And then we, these 12 minor prophets, their books are shorter. Uh, their messages in many times, uh, many ways are just as important. In fact, there are many messianic prophecies that show up in the book of the 12. Uh, I, I noticed that uh, Daniel has uh, 12 chapters and Zechariah that we'll be looking at tonight has 14. But uh, Daniel also has 357 verses, and Zechariah has 211. So you can see that there's a difference there in the size of the writings. And then we have some prophets who wrote, but their writings have been lost. Two in particular that are uh, most notable are Nathan and Gad, who prophesied during the time of David's reign. So somewhere in the last 3,000 years, whatever they wrote has been lost, and we don't have any record of it, but we do know, the Bible tells us, that there were things that were recorded in the book of Nathan and recorded in the book of Gad 
but those writings are lost. And then there are prophets who, as far as we know, did not write. But that doesn't mean they weren't important. That doesn't mean their message was not powerful. First of all, we have a man by the name of Elijah who did not write, but he was written about. And his uh, successor, Elisha, also was not a man who stocked up the library, but performed even twice as many miracles as had Elijah. There's another prophet that we don't even know his name, but he prophesied in the days of Jeroboam the first, had notable miracles, an altar was split in two, a hand was withered and then restored, but this man never wrote anything. In fact, on the way home, he believed the words of a lying prophet and disobeyed what God had specifically told him to do. And in so doing, he left himself to a place where uh, he was punished by being killed by a lion. And, and so we've got these different uh, types of, of writings or non-writings, and we are dealing with these minor prophets. Tonight we are dealing with prophet number 10 and number 11, leaving one more for tomorrow night. We're looking at a tag team of uh, Haggai and Zechariah. And uh, I want to take a moment here to express my thanks to the developing leaders that I'm working with, Mariana Lara and Matthew Tatro, who helped me as research assistants for tonight's study. Now, just so you'll know, when I assigned them their jobs, I told them there was a good chance that I would file the serial numbers off and uh, give their work a new coat of paint and claim it as my own. But they'll know, and I'm sure that the Lord gives appropriate credit. So as we start our study uh, of these two prophets tonight, we need to start in the book of Ezra, back in the historical writings. You see, uh, there a, a group of exiles had returned and begun to rebuild the temple and as usual, uh, they ran into opposition. Their adversaries, led by Rehum and Shimshai, uh, leaders of Samaria, wrote uh, a letter or made an appeal to the ruler of the Medo-Persian Empire, Artaxerxes, Artaxerxes uh, wording their letter in such a way as to prejudice the answer they would receive. They asked for him to look up a specific thing that was strengthen their case. And we'll find that throughout the resettlement process that political maneuvering was a constant with answers often framed by the way the question was asked. I don't think much has changed in politics over the last uh, 2,500 years or so. So uh, we pick up the story in Ezra chapter 4 and verse 23. When this letter from King Artaxerxes was read to Rehum, Shimshai, and their coll colleagues, they hurried to Jerusalem 
Then with a show of strength, they forced the Jews to stop building. So the work on the temple of God in Jerusalem had stopped and it remained at a standstill until the second year of the reign of King Darius of Persia. Then on into the fifth chapter, at that time, the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews in Judea and, or Judah and Jerusalem. They prophesied in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, responded by starting again to rebuild the temple of God in Jerusalem and the prophets of God were with them and helped them. So here's the setting in which we find these two prophets uh, uh, unique in the 12, that they were contemporaries, not only near each other, but working on the same project. One of them starting a little earlier than the other and then being joined uh, by one who actually did more writing than the first one. So let me do a little translating into our modern uh, calendar system <clears throat> that in late August, which in those days was the sixth month, and it was the seventh, second year of Darius, that Haggai addressed a message to Zerubbabel and Joshua, but the meaning was for all of the people. And in the time since the ruling of Artaxerxes, the temple had continued to lie in waste while the people concentrated on improving their personal situations, improving and embellishing their own homes and just letting the temple go, it's not time, uh, we'll get to it later, you know, all the usual excuses. Haggai then made a by the help of the Lord, a cosmic connection, if you will, between two situations which seemed to have no link. It was because the temple lay in ruins that they were unable to find satisfaction in what they did have. While suffering an ongoing economic calamity of drought and, and poor harvests, and then that was accompanied by a, a blight on their asset management prod processes and practices. Uh, it's from this area that we get the idea of the scripture about uh, bringing in a lot, but having little or sowing a lot, having little and bringing in money to put it in a bag full of holes. Kind of like having a hole in your pocket walking down the street, losing your change as you go. And after Haggai began to prophesy and began to encourage the people, uh, construction soon began and uh, in mid-October, which was their seventh month, the word of the Lord came again to Haggai, acknowledging the perception that the new iteration or the new addition uh, of the temple did not compare favorably with the splendor of Solomon's temple. The old folks who remembered it as from their youth uh, would weep because it was so much less than they had. 
And yet uh, this message from Haggai tied that current project all the way back to God's deliverance of Israel from the land of Egypt, that this was part of what God was doing and of the glorious things that he was uh, providing and, and had planned for his people. And also it looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. So in mid-December, which was their ninth month, Haggai was directed to pose a question. Now they've got the, the building of the temple well underway. The people are up and active and, and uh, Haggai goes to the legal authorities, the priests, and he asked them about, or asked them a question about cleanness and uncleanness. And you can read that in there. We don't have time to get into all of the things tonight. But, uh, and upon receiving a, an answer from the priest about this is clean, but that would be unclean, then Haggai drew a parallel to the work that they were doing in rebuilding of this temple. The people were now stirred up from their lethargy and engaged in the actual work of, of putting stone upon stone and, and clearing out rubble and whatever else. But at this point, they were instructed to tend to the purity of their hearts, lest everything they were doing became unacceptable before God. It wasn't enough just to go through the motions, just to get the work done. They had to do it in the right way as well. And uh, on that same day in uh, mid-December, the Lord spoke again to Haggai with a message of encouragement to Zerubbabel based on the plan and power of heaven's commander. And uh, it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by my spirit. That's why it was so important for them to be right with God because they were tapping into that holy almighty power for the actual help that they needed to build. Um, so this, this closes out the record or the recorded ministry of a man whose known contribution is encompassed within a span of about four months. Short, but significant. And then we turn to Zechariah. He's the one that's got 14 chapters and 211 verses. And about two months after Haggai began to prophesy, Zechariah heard from God. And uh, this book is very specific and totally obscure all at the same time. Uh, most of Zechariah's communications with the Lord are in the form of dreams. And things happen in dreams that could never, never occur in the real world. Dreams are highly symbolic and generally nonlinear. Getting from point A to point B might make stops at about a third of the other letters and uh, no particular order and for no obvious reason. 
it kind of reminds me of a joke that my brother told me one time about a, a drunk who was stopped by the police and they uh, gave him a field sobriety test. And that particular officer had the, one of the steps of the test was that he had the suspect to recite the alphabet. Well, this fellow said A, B, C, J, K, R, P, N, L, W, S. About that time, the officer held up his hand. So, whoa, 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 stop a minute. What are you doing? He said, well, I'm, I'm giving you the alphabet. He said, no, the alphabet is A, B, C, D. He said, oh, you didn't tell me you wanted them in order. And that's kind of the way dreams are. They don't particularly pay much attention to order that we would put them in. Now, a time or two in my ministry, I have been given the interpretation of a dream. But if God doesn't give it to me, I don't have a clue. The best we can do in the natural, as we look through the scriptures, is to apply symbols more or less consistently across the scripture. For instance, in Zechariah's first and eighth dreams, the symbols are horsemen. These are just standing and state clearly that they've scouted the world and have, have a report that is at rest, there's, there's peace. In other places, the horse symbolizes strength, speed, and power in war. And this is recognized in the restrictions that are placed upon the Israelite kings in Deuteronomy 17 and 16, that the king is not to multiply horses. And then the incidents in the book of Revelation, chapter six in particular, where horsemen go forth conquering and conquer. So this symbol may be, look, this dream may be looking at the fact that while there is still great power in the world, that the rulership of the Medes and Persians has uh, destroyed the bellicosity, the, the warlikeness of the Babylonian and Assyrian empires and now is going to rule for a while at least in peace. There are two major themes and I, if you want to know more about the layout and the setup and of the book of Zechariah and of Haggai, I would invite you to go to the Bible Project and look at their uh, videos there in relation to these, these two books. And in fact, all of them, anywhere you, uh, any book that you wanted to look at there and, and various other things that they have. But they have a very good treatment of it that I'm not going to, to go through those details tonight. Those are available elsewhere. But there, I've, I've picked out two major themes that are in Zechariah and emerge from his writings. And first is that uh, they are in, uh, in the state they find themselves in because of the unfaithful behavior of their ancestors. As a corollary to that fact, the, the challenge presented to that generation was to change their behavior 
so that God could bless them as he wished to do. Um, there are things that our parents, our grandparents, our great grandparents do that can cause our situation to be as it is today. These people came back from years of servitude in, in Babylon. Well, the reason they were in Babylon was because their ancestors had disobeyed God, had, had taken God for granted, if you will, had gone their own way and done their own thing. And Zechariah was delivering to them a, a message from God. You're not much different than your ancestors were, and it's time to shape up and get right with me so that I can bless you like I want to bless you. And uh, uh, the problem wasn't that God was withholding, but by, that the people, by their rebellion and lack of dedication, were standing in the way, and they were preventing the will of God from being fulfilled. Note in the dreams that there's quite an emphasis on the fact and causes of the captivity. How could anyone miss the symbol of the woman carried away in a basket as a reminder of their time in captivity? Uh, only in a dream do you have a couple of women uh, with storks' wings flying around carrying a basket with another woman in it. It's not quite linear, is it? Uh, but the point this makes for our day is that we can find ourselves in the same spot as these ancient returnees. We can get so wrapped up in our emergencies and our day-to-day, -day, as well as being comfortable in our justifications for disobeying the Lord's directives, that we stand in the way of the move of God. This wasn't just written for people who were living in, in a faraway land long ago. This is written for us as well today. We need to be careful that we do not offer the Lord a reason or excuse that we wouldn't even think of accepting from our children. Well, everybody's doing it. I didn't, it was too hard. I didn't have time. They might've laughed at me. You know, all the excuses that can come. We won't accept them. We shouldn't give them. Now, technology, may have changed, what I mean may. The very fact that we are communicating uh, the way we are right now and will be even more so in a few minutes with the question and answer period. Uh, technology's changed. You just kind of like riding a tiger, grab its ears and hold on. Um, the geography may be very different. We're half a world away from Israel. The historical foundings and the subsequent events of our nations are different. They, they're not close to parallel. But the word of God is forever settled in heaven. 
time and circumstances don't obliterate the need for faith and obedience. And yes, I know I used redundancy there for emphasis. The point I'm trying to make is that we should not get so wrapped up in figuring out the symbolism that we miss what's being symbolized. Don't get so intrigued by the shadow that you miss the substance. Remember that saying about the forest and the trees? God wants to move, but he needs our cooperation in obedience to do it now. The second major thing to note in Zechariah is the messianic theme. Some things have become obvious and well-touted among us. The prophecy of the Messiah entering Jerusalem on a donkey is well-established and at least partially understood. Uh, horses are a symbol of war, the donkey is a symbol of peace. I also know that typology is wide open to interpretation and uh, wild speculation. But with that in mind, and without saying that I have it all figured out, let me present here some food for thought. And uh, as I'm drawing to a close here, let me encourage you, if you have questions, uh, go ahead and start getting those ready. Um, introduce them with question and then ask your question. But uh, as we look at this messianic theme, we need to remember that in both dreams and parables, not all of the pieces fit together exactly from blueprint to building. Uh, we can look in chapter three where we find the high priest Joshua. He is being withstood by Satan, the accuser or the adversary. In fact, I'm not so sure that Satan is so much a name as it is a title, uh, if you will, a job description that he is the one who is adversary, who opposes. The Hebrew name of the high priest, Joshua, in Greek is Jesus. As that's also seen in Hebrews chapter four and verse eight, where Joshua is noted as Jesus, the one that led the children of Israel into the land of promise, we know it's Joshua, but in Hebrews 4 and 8, it is translated Jesus because the words from Hebrew to Greek are equivalent. <clears throat> and if that can be taken as emblematic and then applied to the rest of this dream, then we could hear, have here a preview of the redemption where God becomes a man. That man, Joshua, Jesus, is the high priest. Only in the fulfillment after the order of Melchizedek. His dirty clothes that he had on. Uh, though it, those clothes were not him. They were not his, his being but they could symbolize that he came in the likeness 
of sinful flesh. And though it was not really him or his inner nature, he laid that mortality, that brokenness aside in the crucifixion and then donned garments of glory in the resurrection. A beautiful tie-in back to the book of Leviticus. This dream seems to switch between the symbol and of the Messiah and the literal Joshua and back again, kind of a A, B, C, J, K, R, P, N, L, W, S type situation. And after instructions uh, seemingly addressed to the human of that day, the focus turns to the branch of other prophecies particularly in Isaiah and Jeremiah. Just uh, something for us to consider as we wind our way through this funhouse mirror of a book. So let me finish up with a, a Western style, very linear summation of the book of Zechariah. Point number one, God's for us. We can trust him. And so we don't have to run scared every time somebody says boo. Number two, we are broken at best. What a mess these folks and their ancestors repeatedly got into. But yet, though we are broken, we are his anyway. Number three, this message comes through very clearly. We must obey God. It's, it's best for us. It's not a matter of he's trying to show who's boss or throw his weight around. He, he doesn't have to throw weight around. He, he can say something, and it is, but he's given us the ability to follow him, to walk with him, to obey him, or if we're not all that sharp, to disobey what he has set out for our good and also for our glory. We need, number four, to have our priorities right, put God first. This echoes in the New Testament, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things, they'll be yours. If you'll go back to Obadiah for just a moment, you'll find that he was talking about that because they did not make God and God's doings a priority, they were having trouble with what they ate, what they drank, what they sowed, what they harvested, what they collected into a bag, everything just was going wrong because they had their priorities out of order. And we need, and again, I bring, this is, was specifically noted in Zechariah, not by might, not by power. We must look to God and not to our own power. I know that in, uh, throughout the, the centuries and still today, 
And many times folks will turn to political power uh, and try to use whatever influence or whatever financial strength or who knows what. But our God is our strength. He's our power. It's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. If I could make a reference over into the book of Galatians in the New Testament, where Paul asked the question, having begun in the spirit, are you now to be made perfect by the flesh? Of course, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is obvious. We're not going to be made perfect by the flesh. We've got to work in the spirit. That's the way this church started, and that's the only way it works. I just thought of an illustration. Please, please, don't put diesel in the fuel tank of a gasoline-powered car. It's just not going to go like it's designed to do. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for your word for the messages that you have sent, not just to those folks back there four or 500 years before you came in flesh, but they're relative, relevant, they're pertinent to us today. God, open our understanding. Speak to our hearts. Let us know what you would have for us in these messages, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And Brother Desi, do we have questions? Hey, good evening and welcome back. Yes, we do. Before we get into the questions that have been submitted in the chat feature, I wanted to go ahead and throw out one of, well, two of my own. Number one, just if nothing else, for my sheer pleasure, um, I believe you have an extra guest that you were willing to make an appearance tonight. Maybe now that you're done with the Bible study portion. Well, you didn't. You didn't see my my parrot. I've already. I might have missed it. I think you missed. I just it. wanted to make sure. Okay. Yeah. I uh, wanted everybody to see the eye patch and the accompanying parrot that goes on his shoulder. All right. I'm good now. I just <laughs> wanted to make sure it was in frame. <laughs> Secondly, I I hope to all of our church family who's watching that you have you've maybe pondered over the last week and a half as we've worked our way through the book of the 12 or these minor prophets. And we've got one left scheduled for tomorrow night's broadcast. And I know it takes a little more work with these books to do a little homework ahead of time. That's why I encourage people to watch those Bible project videos. And you got to dig in a little more than say you have to do with the gospels or the historical books that are just a narrative. And so it's really easy to follow along with the storyline, but there's a lot of good stuff. There's some real gems in these books. And I hope that our church family has enjoyed rereading them over the last couple of weeks. And, and, and it's been a refreshing time to you. So my question to Brother Moss, I know tonight specifically you were covering Haggai and Zechariah. But of the 12 and over these last couple of weeks as we've been talking about it, has anything really stood out to you, whether about a specific book or maybe an overarching theme, something that you have really come to appreciate out of this book of the 12 and i keep saying it that because in english we often call these the minor prophets and i've kind of grown to disdain that label because it, it kind of almost seems disparaging you know the minor prophet those little things at the back that every once in a while people. now there's some really good stuff here and in hebrew 
they're all collected together into one book and they call it the book of the 12 but uh brother moss elder for you is there anything that stands out to you i've spent so much time over the years <laughs> in these and other books uh, there are things that have been brought out that I had not considered before. It's always good to hear somebody else, yeah. uh, somebody right. else's treatment of a particular book. Uh, but it, it, it just increased my appreciation for the whole bunch of them. There, there are so many things in there. I guess if you just were confined to the book of the 12. You could spend your whole life just trying to get those all figured out and followed. I, oh, yes, sir. Absolutely. Even, I hope people have noticed, even in these, we still find these major biblical themes that you find all over the rest of the Bible about repentance and turning to God and forgiveness and mercy and justice and taking care of the poor and doing what's yeah. right and taking serious the word as i showed tonight the possibility that in zechariah there is it's very likely that there is a picture of the crucifixion right there going yeah. all the way back to leviticus and then into the new testament yes sir so lots of rich stuff there if I nothing knew, else go ahead i i knew a preacher back in oklahoma uh-huh Oh, 50 years ago, and he was an old man then. He was, I mean, even for where I am now, he was an old man. He was into his uh, at least mid-80s, maybe into his 90s. Mm -hmm. And he just delighted in the book of Zechariah and mm -hmm. the, the wordplay on the name of Joshua and, and the fact that uh, Satan was standing yeah. to withstand him and uh, he could he could go for days, I guess. I know he could go for hours because I've heard him. <laughs> You've heard him go for hours. I've yeah. heard him go for hours. Yeah, absolutely. So there's good stuff here, folks. If if you didn't get anything else, hear us say there's there's lots of good material in here. So let's turn to our questions that we have tonight. Um, in Zechariah, you mentioned the fact that much of what he's recorded is kind of in this non-linear symbolic fashion because God spoke to him through dreams. So one of the questions that was submitted tonight is, does God still speak to us through dreams? And if so, how would we know that? Do you believe that God still speaks through dreams? Well, if I'm going to believe Joel chapter two and Acts chapter two, I've got to believe that God still speaks in dreams. It was and what, what from Joel two and Acts two would lead you to believe that? Well, he said he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh, and there will be dreams, visions, um, prophecies. I've, yeah. I've experienced both in in my lifetime. Sometimes I, I believe because I was a minister. Other times I've gotten them just because I'm a child of God. It's so nothing. God has spoken to you in dreams before. Oh, definitely. It's uh, yes. Sir. And it's not something that's reserved for a special class of ministry or some such. Uh, God can speak to any of us in a dream. One, one thing about, or maybe more than one, but uh, quite often, if you remember a dream, mm -hmm. if it 
very sharp and clear long after you've had it, then that's a good indication that it's a possibility. If, uh, if you mm -hmm. can t learn something from it, if it teaches you something. I, I remember one time I had a dream when I was in Bartlesville. Uh, I remember that's in Oklahoma and uh, the symbols can be used for uh, most likely will be of something that is appropriate to the time, the place. Mm -hmm. uh, one night I had a dream of a tornado that came through and uh, I found a, a place of shelter. It was in a little wooden shack that should not have been able to withstand anything. And when the tornado had passed by and I opened the door of the little shack, everything was gone. And mm -hmm. he said, well, big deal. Well, I needed that a few months down the road when it looked like that everything was going to be gone. But I, I had also gotten the impression in that dream that though what had been built might have been lost, I was still there to build again. And of course, that's a home missionary story. Build it, yeah. lose it, build it again, and go ahead another time. But that dream later was a encouragement to you. Yes. And a warning. Right. But uh, there, there are other times that uh, God has spoken in dreams. Uh, and like I said in, in my lesson this evening, uh, God has given me the interpretation of dreams occasionally, but if I, if God doesn't give it to me, forget it, go see somebody else. I'm, I'm, yeah. I, it's not innate with me. Right. I know in my own lifetime, there have been several times where God has spoken to me in dreams and at least for me in particular, they were warnings situations to avoid or something that was coming so I could be prepared for what was coming ahead, etc. And if you have had a dream and you are puzzling, you know, is this from God? One of the easiest things you can do is simply to have a conversation with God and say, are, are you speaking to me? Was mm -hmm. this meant to be something to you know, warn me or teach me or encourage me and ask God to help you understand the dream? And God may give you the understanding of the dream. God may send someone to explain the dream. I remember one time in particular, I had a very specific dream. In hindsight, it was specific. On the front end, I couldn't make heads or tails of it. Uh -huh. But then I was speaking to a friend who, who was also you know, a fellow Christian. And, and just sharing it, she, I just said I had this crazy dream. She said, well, why don't you share it with me? And she was being led of the spirit. And I told her what happened. And then step by step, she said, this means this, and this means this, and this means this, and this is what's about to happen to you. And she was spot on. Made perfect sense. It made perfect sense to her when she heard, I couldn't make heads or tails of it. So mm -hmm. if you are wondering about a God dream, ask him to give you an understanding of it. And he may speak to you and give it to you, or he may send someone to you to explain it to you. And you'll note that uh, sometimes when the dream was given, uh, the one to whom the interpretation was going to be given would withdraw. Uh, give me a little while. Let me go pray. Mm -hmm. Let me go talk yeah, we God. see that in Daniel, especially. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. So don't be in a rush to understand oh, it immediately. 
never get in a hurry with God except to repent. <laughs> there you go. There's a little a gold nugget from the elder. If you missed that, never get in a hurry with God unless it's to repent. That's a good one. Worth repeating. <laughs> if your generation had been involved with Twitter, I think you would have been a master of it. <laughs> These little short, pithy one-liners. You're pretty good at those. Let me feed you another question from our chat feature tonight. It says, when somebody says that they have a message for you that's coming from God, but God himself has not confirmed it, how can you discern what's going on and if it's true or if it's right? So we see these prophets and they're coming, right? And they're giving these messages to this nation. And how do we, in turn, when someone comes and speaks to us and they say they have a message from God, how do we discern if that's true? It's a softball. This is, this is the question. I took it right from the chat. Right. But that's, that's a softball because your first thing to do is how does it line up with the scripture? Yes. If it's not in line with the scripture. If it violates scripture. Violates you're, scripture. You're done. God, to use, I may be in trouble here, but when I was growing up, we could say a lot of things that folks don't say anymore, but God does not speak with forked tongue. Yeah, meaning he this way and that way. Thing yeah. and then contradict himself. Right. Any, any contradictions that you find in the scripture are our lack of understanding of what he's saying. Mm -hmm. Or the timing of it. Yeah. So that's one of the first things we can do. Someone says they have a message from God. We can check to see if it lines up with scripture. Then if it does not align. It's done. But if it, it, let's say it doesn't violate scripture, then what? If it doesn't violate scripture, then go to God for yourself. Hmm. Ask him, Lord, direct me in the scripture. What, not just that this doesn't violate it, but where does it back up strongly? What's in, how does this apply to my life? What are you trying to yeah. tell me? Just leave yourself open to God. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to hear from you, uh, and, but I want to make sure it's you. Help me understand yeah. what's going on. Excellent. And in the uh, book of Proverbs, we're told it is the uh it's uh, God just delights in hiding things, but it is the glory of Kings to, to search them, them out. Yeah. And, uh, I've not, I don't guess I've been fitted for my crown yet, but he's made us a Royal priesthood. We're going to be Kings and priests to him. Yes, sir. So we're the Kings that should be searching these things out. Take some yep. time. Figure it out. Go to book. Go to prayer. Mm -hmm. uh, and you might find someone, as you did with your uh, uh, dream, someone you trust as a godly person to discuss it with. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe, they've, maybe they've heard something from God, or God will give them something right at that moment. I've seen that happen. Yeah. I've I've experienced that from both directions, both what's come through me and what's come to me. Yes, sir. I don't think 
that if God is speaking to you, he wants it to remain hidden and beyond your understanding. Right. If we've got a heart after God and if we're seeking for him and his understanding, he'll, he'll bring it to you, whether it's confirmed through prayer, whether it's confirmed through his word, whether it's confirmed through another child of God or a minister of the gospel or some combination of all of that. Just keep your eyes just speaking open. if we're listening. Uh-huh. Yeah. Keep your Absolutely. eyes open. Because if he, if he brought it to you, he brought it for a reason. It may yes, not sir. be for, for this afternoon or next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it may not be that there's a real big hurry on getting it all figured out. In fact, there are things that I saw in the vision that called me to Bartlesville that we were, oh, we were 50 years down the road from that call before I saw them happen. And I had already ceased to pastor there at that time. Mm. In fact, there's a, I, I don't know if I even ought to say this, but there's a deal working there right now that. Something is, God spoke to you issue. about long ago that's oh. unfolding now, even after you've retired from pastoring in that place. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Next question for you. What are some things that we can do to prevent ourselves from ending up in the same position as these Israelites as we see this cyclical behavior that the prophets are warning about? So what are some things we can do to prevent ourselves from ending up where they did? Behave yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and, and believe God. Obey God. That's all... When you come right down to it, that's all the prophets were asking the people to do is repent and and do what uh, God has told you to do. There was a fellow that used to live down the street from the church, and he asked me one time, he said, I want you to sum it up. I want you to tell me in as few words as possible how to live for God. And I, I got it as in few two, words as possible. Huh? I got it in four words. Turn right, right, go straight. Now, there there's <laughs> a lot of stuff involved in turn right. There's repentance, baptism, holy living, the yeah. Holy Ghost. Uh, but but yeah. I sum it up. Turn right, and then go straight. Well, there's there's lots of things in that. But that's that's it. If I want to stay out of trouble with God and I obey his word, I do what he tells me to do. I, I look to find out uh, what he wants me to do. Uh, yeah. Didn't Jesus say, I do always those things which please him? Well, the next question is, how do I know what pleases him? I go to his word. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Listen to his spirit. Mm-hmm. Very good. I'm going to combine a comment and a question into one thing. Uh, someone posted one of the largest themes that has stuck out to them as we've been talking about these prophets is the duality of justice and also mercy. How God is bringing judgment, but if we turn to him, he will have mercy upon us and withhold some of that judgment. So I I would absolutely agree with that comment. Now, following on that comment, heels came this question and says, why do you think that some preachers spend much of their time talking about the wrath of God instead of, you know, this, this aspect of, of God's judgment, but also this mercy that comes with it? 
I know there should be a bet. And the person said, I know there should be a balance, but sometimes in interacting with other ministers and listening to the way they preach, it sounds like it's all fear, judgment, wrath, punishment to come. Uh, a lot of it could, could, you hear me say could have yes, to do with the audience. Hmm. Jeremiah was not an encouraging fella. <laughs> he didn't exactly get an easy assignment either. <laughs> he did not get, in fact, when the Lord tells you, I've made your head, forehead like flint because of the people you're going to be working with. It, it may be, I, I don't know. It may be in a particular place, in a particular time, that the message of judgment is what is needed. Uh, many of the prophets, uh, their main message was judgment. Uh, you, uh, Jonah, you, you'll be destroyed in a few days. Uh, yeah. As they're going as tomorrow night's Malachi, he was he was not really, in many ways, a, a very encouraging fellow. He was just pointing out problem after problem with the people. I don't want to steal the thunder of the next one, but yeah. And, and we've got all of these others that so much. I, I the thing is, if folks would start turning to God, they'd find Him much more loving and easy to get along with. But it's a little hard when everything in a society is anti-God. Mm. Pat them on the back and say, good job, fellas. Just keep it up. No, they need to change. They need yeah. to turn and, and do something different. And these prophets the were prophets. calling people. They were calling them back. Yes, and, sir. and if they had turned any time that they answered the call of the prophet to turn to God, then they found the message of mercy. Yes. But the message of mercy is misplaced in people who will are set against the ways of God. Mm -hmm. That that's not what's waiting for them. They need to listen to that, realize they're wrong, let their, let their hearts be turned. And then that message is, well, the message is always there. God's mercy yes. is always there to, to a thousand generations. But I am a God who is in a place slow to get angry, as he described himself in Exodus. Right. We're not always in a place where we are ready to receive that message of mercy. Right. So, final, thank you, sir. Final quick question. This one, I'll even say this one comes from my daughter. She wanted to know, where did you get that cool looking eagle that's sitting up on the shelf? Let's see, it'd be over your right shoulder. Over my right shoulder. Up on top, right at the joint of those two. Is it an eagle? I can't even tell from here, it's but there's a big right bird up there. That one. Yes, sir. Right here. Let me bring it. And I will show you. It's just a beautiful piece of backdrop. We were curious about it. There you go. And it was given to me. Uh -huh. by the Oklahoma Home Missions Department 
And these are the churches that began under my term as home missions director in Oklahoma. Oh, wow. What, what a neat keepsake. That's a really cool momentum. Thank you for sharing that with us. All right. We're coming up to the top of the hour to our church family. You heard Brother Moss mention it at the beginning. Just a reminder in case you missed it. Um, we, as the pastoral team, sent out a letter this week. You should be getting it in the mail. We sent it out as an email yesterday. It is also posted on our website under the communications page. And so you can go read all the information that's there. It talks about some of our upcoming decisions, what we're doing and why in the month of August, where we're at. And I would just encourage everybody not to be weary and well-doing during this time. And I, if I can submit a prayer request to our church family, would you continue to pray for wisdom for the pastoral team and also pray for our brothers and sisters around the United States? We've been hunkered down and sheltered in. And we've tried to strike a balance of what to do and to stay engaged and yet also to be careful. And there are many of us on the pastoral team who have friends who pastor all across the United States and other parts of Canada and the world. And as we talk every week, we we're just talking about it this week. We have many friends who are pastoring in the Midwest, in the South, on the West Coast and other parts of the country that got hit later than us with this virus or perhaps they closed down for a while and they've reopened. And my wife and I alone know multiple churches that just in the last week or two have had to close down once again and go back online because so many of their people are getting sick. So just pray for wisdom for our local church, but also pray for our brothers and sisters all over the place who are also facing these same challenges. We are not alone in this. We are greatly inconvenienced. This is hard None of us enjoy this. We all miss gathering together, but stay strong. Don't get weary in well-doing. Continue to connect with your church family. Continue to watch these broadcasts. Continue to connect with your small groups and tune in and be engaged and, and allow during this very unusual time our spirits to grow. Continue to pray for those around us and even our brothers and sisters who are facing unique challenges other places. We're very blessed to have a team of people who can help minister to us. They have small groups that meet every week. Not everybody's in that situation. So there are some good things that are coming out of this. To all of you who have been watching, be sure to tune into our broadcast every day, Tuesday through Sunday. We take Mondays off. They're at 7 p.m. We're live on Wednesday nights. You have the double pleasure this week of seeing Brother Moss once again on Friday night. I'm not going to tell you who our guest is, but it's going to be a really, really neat interview. So you will want to come back Friday night for our next Friday night with friends in two days. Brother Moss and I will be online once again. He will be interviewing someone near and dear to him. So you'll want to tune in for that. If you are not connected with your small groups, make sure to do so. You want to join a small group. If you need to submit a prayer request, if you want to submit a baptism request, you can do all of those on our church website at newarkupc.info. And with that, we're going to close out tonight. So Brother Moss, thank you once again for presenting the word tonight. As always, it was excellent and in-depth. We thank you all for joining with us. Stay tuned, folks. Stay strong. Stay connected. God bless you. And have a good